Welcome to the Everything New York Giants podcast. I'm your host, Adriana, and I have a very special guest here today. We are talking to ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and we are going to talk about his book. But before we talk about that, I just want to say that obviously we all know this podcast is a Giants podcast, so I will let it slide that Mike is a Jets fan. Here's the thing I will say, Adriana, and thank you for having me. I am a Jet fan, of course, <clears throat> but I do not dislike the Giants. Not only do I not dislike them, but I am on <coughs> record as saying that when the Giants beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, particularly the first time when they otherwise would have been unbeaten, I celebrated the David Tyree catch. I celebrated the Plexigo Burris touchdown. I celebrated the Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck defensive pass rush like it was my own. So I think my credentials as not only not a giant hater, but but a giant admirer are very well in order. So I think if any Giants fan had any animosity towards you for being a Jets fan, they they forgive you now. But I always said I grew up in northern New Jersey and my entire high school was split between Jets and Giants fans. And I never understood the rivalry. I'm, I'm more concerned about what Philadelphia and Dallas is doing than I am about the Jets. We share a That's stadium. That's exactly right. We can all be friends. <clears throat> That's right. And, and we're not... we. Our success has almost nothing to do with each other. Right. There was the one year the Giants beat the Jets <coughs> and knocked us out of the playoffs. And by the way, that was the, the Victor Cruz, the long touchdown by Not Cruz, knocked the Jets out of the playoffs and the Giants springboarded them to a Super Bowl. So there's no reason for a Giant fan to dislike the Jets. That's for sure. I agree. We, we, can, we can all get past that. Um, but for for everyone who doesn't know, aside from Mike being on ESPN and you've done radio shows and now Get Up and all of that, you are also now a five-time book writer. So this is your newest one called Got Your Number. And I have a couple questions for you because I, I was lucky enough to get my hands on it and I started reading it already. And I... I read in the introduction that you talked about how the book came to fruition and it's from the other books that you've written, it seems very different compared to those. So I wanted to see if for the listeners, if you could go into a little bit about that story that you told in the book, how the book came to be um, during COVID. Yeah, of course. So um, I have never written a sports book before. And the reason is pretty simple. I didn't have a good enough idea. Like I just couldn't think of anything that I felt was worthy of writing an entire book about in sports. I covered lots of things in shorter uh, form on TV and radio, but you know, in a book you need, you need something that you can flesh out. So one day it happened to be during the height of COVID. So after we wrap up, uh, get up, there's nowhere, you remember those terrible days, there was nowhere to go, there was nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So the few of us who were still working in the, in the building were sitting around afterwards and we just got into a conversation because we're just a bunch of sports geeks we got into a conversation about how many quarterbacks who were in the Hall of Fame all wore the jersey number 12. Joe Namath, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, Joe, uh, Jim Kelly, uh, Bob Greasy, and, and of course, Brady and Rogers, who both will be in the Hall of Fame. And Pete McConville, who's the executive producer of Get Up, said, yeah, Greeny, they all wore number 12, but which one of them owns number 12? I have no idea what motivated him to say that, he just did. And in that second, Adriana, a light bulb went off over my head. And I thought, there's the idea. And I called my literary agent and he said, yeah, it's a good idea. So I hired Hembo, my main man who has been doing my research for me, going back to my days on Mike and Mike. We've been together for a decade. 
he did all the research and I did all the writing. And so we decided in this book who owns every number in sports history from one to 100. Most of them are players. Some of them are teams. Some of them are coaches. One of them is a horse. And, uh, and, and it was a really fun, exciting process and something totally different for me. So I, I couldn't be more thrilled about the way it came out. And it's very interesting so far. I've gotten in a few chapters. I think I'm up to number 15. And I think the way that it's done, for regardless of what team you love or specific players, to read about some of the interesting facts, like I'm a Yankees fan, I love Derek Jeter. And the way that you wrote about him and you know Babe Ruth and everything, I just thought it was fascinating. And I think that any type of sports fan is really gonna love this book. And you also Thank you. Can I say something very quickly about that? Sure. I, I appreciate it. And I'm delighted to hear you say that because one of the things that, at least in my youth, was very common was that we read a lot of books about sports history. Like I read about players that I had never seen. And I guess I blame myself for this, but my kids, who are both good sports fans, neither one of them has anywhere near the same appreciation of the history of sports that I had mm. um, growing up. Like they, they, they my, my son, can tell you everyone who plays in any of the professional sports leagues today, but he doesn't, he knows Derek Jeter, but he is plenty. He doesn't know Ozzie Smith just to go through some of the names that will come up early in the book. Mm -hmm. Ozzie Smith, Bobby, or um, he's probably heard the name Bill Russell, but I don't know how much he knows about the stories of Bill Russell. So that's what I'm really excited about is that the book is about sports debate. Certainly we're, we're, we're choosing players, and, 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 and instead of others, and so people might disagree. But then the research, the, the book is really meant to be a book about sports history where people will do exactly what you're talking about, which is learning things, even about athletes that they know that they didn't previously know. Babe Ruth, for example, and you and I both know how many home runs he hit and, and, and the fact that he was a legendary player. Did you know that, that and, I, and we found this out in the writing of the book, that in World War II, when the Japanese soldiers were uh, attacking the United States, they were screaming, the, the Japanese soldiers were chanting, the hell with Babe Ruth, go to hell Babe Ruth. Like they associated Babe Ruth with America more than any other person. That's incredible, not the president's yeah. name. They were talking about Babe Ruth. That, 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 that's, that's the sort of thing that we found and, and put in the book. So it's as much about history as it is about debate. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because something that I had never heard of either. And when you talk about sports history, I, you know, I have this Instagram page called New York Giants Fangirl and I, I just love the Giants. And what I did last summer, when you talk about the history of these teams, you know, a team like a giant, like the Giants, that's so legendary. There are so many young fans who only know the Giants as OBJ and Saquon, and they don't know the Dave Browns and the Phil Sims and the wilderness years in the 70s. So I did this fun series last summer where I just picked a different position group every week and just went through all either the quarterbacks for the Giants and everything like that. And so many people were like, I, I had no idea that Dave Brown even existed. I didn't know, you know, that Carl Banks was as good as he was and all of those things. So I think the the history with all of these teams is so fascinating. So good I think for you. That's really great. That. I go back further. I'm a million times older than you are. So, <laughs> I mean, I go back in my youth, the Giants were Spider Lockhart. Um, and, and before Phil Sims, um, you know, the quarterbacks that they had and, 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 and obviously going back to um, 
you know, the, the Frank Giffords and, and, and things like that, which goes back before my time. There's an appreciation for that sort of thing. I'm trying, who was the, the giant quarterback before Sims? I'm trying, Pisarchik was there, but that's not who, he wasn't a starter for a long time. I'm trying to think who would have been there before Sims in the 70s, all through my childhood. Who the heck was the quarterback? Of the, I don't know why it's not coming to me so Tarkenton, quickly. Tarkenton, right? Briefly, very, yes, it was very briefly, it was Tarkenton. There were other names. Anyway, I didn't mean to sidetrack it in that regard. But the point is, I'm so delighted that you did that because um, sports history is, it's imperative. If you really want to be a, a good sports fan and really understand sports today, you have to understand the history so you can put it into the context that it deserves to be in. So I'm delighted you did that. I'm going to look that series up as soon as we're done with this conversation. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. Let's go back to the writing aspect of it for a second, because like you, I studied journalism in college. I didn't go to Northwestern, but obviously we've seen you on TV and from the radio and television side of things. But did you always want to be a writer? Was writing books on your list? I know you mentioned your dad was also a writer. You mentioned that in the book, too. So was he some sort of inspiration to you to get into writing? So my parents were writers. My parents were travel writers. Um, I grew up in New York City and my parents wrote travel guides. Um, most people probably are aware of like the Arthur Fromer travel guides, like so-and-so on $50 a day, Europe on $50 a day. My parents did the mm -hmm. South America books, starting with South America on $5 a day, all the way until they stopped doing it. Um, they wrote those books for 40 years and then they owned a bookstore. So I grew up around books and always wanting to be a writer and I, to this day, I love to read. And I actually got into broadcasting at the beginning uh, just as a way of trying to pay the bills until my first novel got published. And um, of course, a few twists and turns later, here I am 30 years down the road and I'm still doing the broadcasting. But um, so the answer to your question is very much yes. I always wanted to be a writer. I revere people who are great at it. Um, I think writing creative writing, I think, is the, is the hardest thing there is to do. I, I can't paint. I can't, uh, you know, th there are a lot, so many great art forms, um, mm -hmm. be they, you know, painting or music. But I, I think writing is the one I admire the most because the, the to look at a blank page and to just fill it with words in a way that makes people interested enough to want to read it um, is really hard to do. And that's not what this book mm -hmm. is. This book is uh, meticulously researched by Hembo and, and I just took them all and, and, and sort of tried to organize them in a way that it would make sense. Um, but writing novels, which I have done, is the hardest thing I've ever done by far and the most satisfying. So yes, I've always wanted to be a writer and I, I hope to continue to be one on some level for as long as I live. What is the process like for writing a creative novel versus writing this type of book? Because oh, I imagine that they're different. quite different. Yeah, yeah massively. So. Writing a novel, which I have, well, I've written several, two of them got published, um, is I locked myself, I find I can't write at home because there's too many distractions. Um, for most of that time, we were living in our house in Connecticut and my kids were growing up and there's a dog and there's a kids and there's the mailman and there's the UPS. And, and these days now it's, you know, Amazon Prime six times a day and, um, you know, DoorDash and, and what, what it's just, I can't do it. So I would lock myself in the library. We lived in Westport, Connecticut, and I would seal myself off in as quiet a spot in the library as I could and just focus. And it is a very solitary, quiet, 
introverted focused experience. Um, and the hardest part of it is coming up with the ideas, is, is creating the story. Right, writing up and, and it's, it is the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but the most satisfying when you are done. Um, writing this book was very different because this was one where literally Hembo and I sat down, we chose the people, we, we decided who was going to be, he gave me a list. These are all our options for number one, number two, number three, number four, all the way through 100. We made the decisions, mostly I did, but with his input, decided who we were going to choose. And then he just went off and did the research and he would present me you know, in the email, he would say, okay, here's Babe Ruth notes. And I would go through just a page of unbelievable stuff. Someday I'll just publish a book with all the stuff that didn't make it into this book. Mm. Um, there was such great research. So that was really the, the, the primary part of it was writing a little intro, writing a little outro, and, and then organizing all of the incredible notes and facts and figures and stats that Hembo came up with. So that's what this experience was primarily. And it, it was great fun. Um, actually, it was it was it was much more fun than writing a novel, but not the same kind of experience at all. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. Now, I imagine that someone like Brady is easy. You get to number 12. You don't have to think anything else. Sure. Were there specific numbers that you found to be really difficult compared to some others? Like what were some oh, yeah. of the hardest ones versus the easiest ones? That 21 was brutal. So if you haven't gotten to 21 yet, you may not know. So I'll ask you, number 21 could be Deion Sanders. It could be Tim Duncan. It could be Roberto Clemente. Who would you choose? I'm more of a football fan, so I probably would have gone Deion Sanders. So on my radio show, I, I, I put a Twitter poll up and I asked the listeners on my radio show, who would they vote? And Deion Sanders won. Hmm. We chose Roberto Clemente okay. because here's, here's how we did it. We decided that in from a playing standpoint from, from from their greatness let's call it a wash i can't sit here and say Deion sanders was a greater player than clemente or vice versa or that either of them was greater than tim duncan or vice versa let's say they're all about as good as you can possibly be um roberto clemente's significance and this is what i hope people will take from reading the book if you don't already know the story of roberto clemente's life and not only that but the story of how he died and what he was doing when he died and the, import, the, the impact he has made on, on not only, but very specifically on Latin American players and their, their participation in Major League Baseball. Um, there, there are, there are um, the, the, the uh, baseball, the equivalent of the Walter Payton Award, I don't have it in front of me what, what it's called, but the humanitarian award in Major League Baseball that's presented every year is called the Roberto Clemente Award. That was what separated him for me was his importance as a person, and that's not to diminish Deion Sanders or Tim Duncan in any way, right. but something had to break a tie. Roberto Clemente is one of the, the most important people ever to play baseball, and so that was how I wound up choosing there. But of course, you couldn't have gone wrong with any of them. Four was a tough one also, because four was Bobby Orr, Lou Gehrig, and Brett Favre. And I wound up going with Orr as brutally hard a decision as that was, because in that one, I did actually go to the playing careers. You could make a very legitimate argument that Bobby Orr is the second greatest hockey player that ever lived. As great as Favre was, he's not that. As great as Gehrig was, he's not that. Um, now, Gehrig is probably the greatest, not probably, Gehrig is the greatest first baseman that ever lived. Um, but I had, to, I had to figure it out somewhere. Um, so not putting, not, not giving Lou Gehrig four killed me. 
as a kid, my, my dad grew up in the Bronx. I mean, I, if he was still with us, I guarantee you, he would be calling me the second he saw that and said, Michael, you got this one wrong. And then start explaining to me why it clearly had to be Gehrig. If I hadn't given DiMaggio five, my father would have stopped reading the book. In fact, he would have told his friends not to buy it. That's how offended he would have been by that. So those were, so there were, there were quite a few tough numbers, but the one I remember the most agony over was 21. Okay. Do you think that if Aaron Rodgers wasn't number 12, he would be included? He would have a very good chance. I mean, look, 12 is Brady. There's no way not to give him 12. Joe Namath is my my favorite player that ever lived and, and, and ever played in any sport. But even I couldn't give Namath 12. I mean, you know, Brady is the most accomplished football player that ever lived. So Brady had to be 12. I will say this. If Rodgers wins the Jets a Super Bowl and I ever do a sequel, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm going to find a number for him. I will tell you that. It may not be 12. um, But let's say for the sake of argument, he wins uh, the Super Bowl in the year 24. It's 2024, which is what I'm rooting for because that's the next one that will be played. He might get 24 ahead of Willie Mays. That would be a tough one to do. Uh, what mm-hmm. Super Bowl is coming up here? Super Bowl 58, 9, whatever year, yeah. whatever number of Super Bowl this is. Maybe I'll give him that number. Um, okay. I, I will find it. If Rodgers wins us a Super Bowl and I do a sequel, I will find a number for us. Okay. I look forward to that. Me too. <laughs> what is um? What do you think, real quick, about, about the Rodgers? you think they're going to get it done? They have yes, to. Yes, for sure. I think they're going to get it done for sure. I think, I think both sides are trying to win the deal, but both sides want the deal to happen. Look, in my experience, and I think this extends well beyond sports, there are three parties involved here. There's the Packers, there's the Jets, and there's Rodgers. All three of them want it to happen. If all three of them want it to happen, it's going to happen. They're just figuring out the, you know, they're dotting the I's and crossing the T's, um, to use an expression that I candidly i don't particularly like but i couldn't think of a better one um so i'm positive it'll happen um i think the question is as everyone i think thinks will the jets wind up trading their first round pick they desperately don't want to i host the draft adriana so i've been studying players and i can tell you 13 which is where the jets pick is there's right in the smack dab in the middle of a run of offensive tackles so for, for fans who are getting ready for the draft this year, I can tell you exactly what it's going to be. The first 10 picks are basically all going to be quarterbacks and pass rushers. There's one corner who might sneak in there, but it's going to be quarterbacks and pass rushers. And then when those are all gone, the offensive line may come flying in. And there's going to be five or six of them that go between like nine and 20. And the Jets okay. desperately want one. When you've got, when you're getting Aaron Rodgers, you want to get one of those guys. I don't know how important it is to them which one, but they want one of them. And so they don't want to trade 13. And Rodgers doesn't, if you're him, you don't want them to trade that pick. You want that guy to be protecting you. So that's what the Jets are doing. And of course, the Packers on the flip side want it. So they'll continue Mm -hmm. fighting over that. But eventually, both sides want, all three sides want this to happen. It will, and it will happen before the draft. I'm very confident. I look forward to seeing what the what the final uh, trade looks like. So real quick for the Giants, who do you think they end up with at 25? That makes me feel like we might end up with with the top three wide receiver, which I wasn't wasn't so sure about that going into this. Yes. So so the that's obviously what they need more than anything. Um, uh, Although I could if there's a 
I'm trying to think if there's an off the ball linebacker that I could see going in that range this year. Um, and and I, I also think that maybe an interior op- Could you see them going with an interior offensive lineman? So there are some very good interior offensive linemen that I could see them going with. But yes, let, let's say the most glaring need is that wide receiver. Yes, there are very, very good receivers in this draft that I think are generally undervalued. So Jackson Smith and Jigba, the kid from Ohio State, I think will be long gone. Yep. The, I, I've seen mock drafts that have – the kid I really like is Quentin Johnston, who is mm-hmm. from TCU, the team that went to the championship game this yes. year. He's monstrous. Uh, uh, Todd McShay calls him a pterodactyl because he's so big and long. And um, if, if he – I've seen some mock drafts that have him going – like first or second amongst the receivers. And I have some that, that have him going as low down as that, it, it, like deep into wow. the 20s. If he's still sitting there at 20, let's just say, I'm just making up a number, you know, do you consider making an aggressive move to get him? I think he has special written all over him. How are the Giants looking at tight end right now? I know that, who's the guy who came on to, late in the season and was playing pretty well that they like. Daniel Bellinger, Lawrence Bellinger. Cager. They also okay. just picked up Tommy Sweeney from the Bills, and now they have Darren Waller. Oh, what am I talking about? Of course. So here I am. Thank God I'm on a Giants podcast to correct me from saying <laughs> something stupid. Yes, Waller is tremendous. Okay, so mm-hmm. forget it. Because the other position that I think is very deep and, and strong in this draft is tight end. Um, I think there will be five or six taken in the first round. Wow. So the Giants not needing one. You know, I, I'm – I actually think that's an interesting one. I think if you're if you're if you're picking at 25, um, I've also long been of the impression that at that point, let someone come up and get someone they desperately want, move back and get a few extra players might not be a terrible idea. I wish I had my list of players in front of me because um, I would go through the names of the receivers because there are quite a few that I know a lot of people like. But so yes, um, th- that that there should be first round caliber receivers. Most of the people that I deal with. Mel and others do not think this is a great draft. I mean, everyone's general consensus opinion is that it is not a great draft, not not just the receivers, but in general, that the overall quality of the draft is not that high. I don't think there were going to be 25 first round grades. So that's that's when you start getting into the question of, do you want to consider trading up? Do you want to consider moving back? The Giants did that, well, I was about to say, effectively a few years ago when they traded with the bears, but obviously that was when they took Tony, right? Was that when they took Kadarius Tony? So that didn't work out. That didn't work out quite as they hoped, but um, it's a move I generally tend to like. So let's see, let's see what they do. I think, I think 25 is right in that space where I could see them uh, being someone who might be willing to move back for, Mm -hmm. for a team that, that wants to pinpoint someone in particular, maybe a quarterback like Hendon hooker, who I could see getting drafted late in the first round. Um, Maybe if, if, if by some accident, Bijan Robinson, the running back, sticks around that long, he probably won't. Yeah. But if he's still sitting there, I could see someone wanting to go up and get someone like him. Some of these tight ends I know people like a lot. So that was a very long answer to a, a good, short, direct question. Um, uh, you know, Let's put it this way. You know what the Giants are going to do infinitely better than I do. Yeah, it's hard because I feel like there are a lot of holes. So I could see them going wide receiver. I could see them going center or guard. I could also see them going cornerback. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if they took a linebacker. They they need all of those things. So uh, I will be happy with any of those things. I, I'm right. not one of those people that if they don't get Quentin Johnston, I'm going to lose my mind. So I would that's love why him. I was thinking don't get of me wrong. That's why 
because I'm just thinking about Philadelphia just running around over them in that playoff game. But but look, I mean, listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell any fan how they should feel about anything. Last year was um, the Giants were a miracle. I mean, a miracle. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I'm I like what they've done. I know a lot of Giant fans are worried about all the money that they gave Jones and everything else. I like it. I, I, I think you you have found something good. Stick with it. I mean, you're all true. Have you seen what the Jets quarterbacks looked like last year? Um, the grass is definitively not always greener. So yeah. um, I like the Giants. There's nothing not to love about the coach. Um, and I think the quarterback is going to get better and better. You put the pieces around him. I think the Giant fans have got to feel really good. As, as frustrating an ending to the season as that was. I was trying to – my daughter's boyfriend is a huge Giant fan. And so I was texting with him during the game and, you know, he was, he was feeling about it. I'm sure the same way you were feeling mm-hmm. then like early in the second quarter of that game. And I immediately went to, it was a great year. You guys had a great year. I mean, yep. it's obviously, you guys had a great year, which you did. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Philly takes a small step back. Washington is, not, their quarterback situation is a joke. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens with the Cowboys and the, the Giants to finally have a better coach. If you told me right now the Giants are going to win the NFC East next year, I would not say you were crazy. Wow. I think they're going to have competition, but I agree the way that some of the other teams have made moves. I feel confident, especially with our coaching staff, that for the first year in many years, we're actually going to have some continuity across the board. And I think when you've seen what happened with the Giants over the last few years, that that is immediately going to make a huge difference with the way that this team progresses this year. I think so. No, I think I think it's a good look. It's a good time to be a New York sports fan. Uh, Well, it is a good time to be a New York sports fan. The Knicks are better than they've been in years. The Yankees and Mets are both good. And it is, I was, what I meant to say was, it's a good time to be a New York football fan. The Giants and Jets, I think after candidly, both for the most part being awful for the last five years, um, I think I, I think are both definitively playoff teams this year. And who knows, maybe even better than that. Yeah. Finally, they have an upward trajectory and a bright future ahead for both sides. That's right. So my last question, I have to go back to the Giants for a second, is for other Giants fans, I think we, I I had to skip ahead because I needed to know that LT was there at 56 and I was pleasantly surprised, happy to see that. But are there, are there any other Giants that are in the book that we can look forward to reading about? Uh, That's a good question. Um, So 56 was actually an interesting one because we gave DiMaggio five. If DiMaggio had not been five, then Lawrence Taylor's 56 and the 56 game hitting streak would have been a tough choice because we did that with a lot of these numbers. Um, but we were able to give DiMaggio five, so it wasn't even a choice. And, and to, to be clear, I consider Lawrence Taylor, and I wrote this in the chapter, to be the greatest defensive player that ever lived. He's, he is the single best defensive player in the history of the National Football League. So that wasn't to diminish him as much as it was to say that 56-game hitting streak, I think, would have been an interesting debate. Um, are there any other Giants? God, I wish I should have the list in front of me, and I'm so sorry that I don't. I don't think there are. Um, there are no Jets, actually, with the exception of um, the, the, the number 83 we gave to the quarterback class of 83, which I think is such an interesting collection of people. Now, Marino and Elway each have their own numbers. But that quarterback class of 83, which includes Ken O'Brien, is so fascinating. 
but no, I don't, I don't, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I do not believe there are any more Giants. Uh, there are a lot of Yankees, as you would assume. There are, there, there is a, there is a Mets team. There, are, there is a Mets player. Just trying to think of just for the rest of the New York sports fans. It goes without saying there are a ton of Yankees. Um, and there is one, there is one entry for the Knicks as well. So there's okay. plenty of New York representation. Great. Well, I'm excited to read the rest of it. Is there anything else that you want people to know before they go pick up the book? Any any other good reasons beside the ones we've already talked about why they should definitely no, pick uh, it up? Thank you for asking it that way. But no, I think the book, it speaks for itself. If, if you like sports history and you like sports debate or you know someone who does, um, then either you would like it or it would be a good gift. Um, I'm very proud of it. The book is inarguably good. Um, the overwhelming majority of the credit for that belongs to Hembo. The research is what makes it good. My writing is easy. Um, the choosing of the players was hard, but anyone could do that. Um, what really sets the book apart is the, the caliber of the research. Like the stuff you will find out about every single entry in this book, I think, will uh, is what makes it good. And, and I hope that people will enjoy that as much as I enjoyed finding it out myself. Yeah. And I expect that they will. So the book is called Got Your Number. You can pre-order it now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and then it's available April 4th for people to go pick up in store or online. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. It was great to talk to you, especially. Well, about I enjoyed it too. Thank you for having me. Thanks. This was great fun.